Welcome to Cinema Talk, the podcast of the UW Cinematheque. This is Mike King. I'm a programmer here. This week, we're continuing our free streaming series with Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets by directors Bill and Turner Ross. Originally scheduled to play in our 2020 Wisconsin Film Festival in April, the film is now being released online. It's set at a dive bar on the outskirts of Las Vegas that would fit right in in Wisconsin. The bar is called the Roaring Twenties and it's closing down, so the regulars assemble for one last 24-hour bender with some bellying up to the bar well before noon. But things are not exactly as they seem. Though the film could absolutely pass for one of the Ross Brothers' earlier documentaries, The Roaring Twenties is actually in New Orleans. It's still open, and its denizens are a specifically cast group of locals worthy of Dennis Johnson. At the same time, the night we see is real. There was no script, only the barest of outlines, and those are real drinks going down. The result is a captivating and original slice of pure cinema, exactly as authentic as you feel after a few too many, which is to say, very. The Cinematheque is able to offer a limited number of opportunities to view Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets at home for free. To receive your link to view the movie, send an email to info at and simply write Ross in the subject line or the first line of the email and we'll get you the link. This week, we're happy to be joined by the directors of Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, Bill and Turner Ross. The Ross brothers are two of the most exciting and forward-thinking American filmmakers of the past decade, and Madison has had ample opportunities to check out their work. Their second film, Chapatulis, which is about three brothers experiencing a long night in New Orleans, played the Cinematheque. Their next features, Western, about two towns on the Texas-Mexico border, and Contemporary Color, a concert film featuring David Byrne and high school color guard teams, both played our Wisconsin Film Festival. Here's our conversation. I remember... When I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. Thank you for joining us, uh, Bill and Turner Ross, on the Cinematalk podcast. Thanks for having us, man. Uh, So as a viewing experience, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets plays like a fairly straightforward depiction of a night, uh, but its creation is far from that. I'm curious how you arrived at the idea of using this production concept for this subject matter. You know, did it start as a more straightforward bar movie or was this always going to be the shape it took? This, uh, the conversation that ended up being this film, it started about 10 years ago. Um, We were traveling and um, we we just, we got fascinated with the outskirts of Vegas, Um, just sort of the real life outside of this fake city. Um, Mm -hmm. And at that point we, you know, we were thinking about, yeah, making, um, you know, with each film, we don't talk about it as if it's a documentary or a fiction or whatever. It's just like, what means, you know, what, what modes of production do we need to employ in order to, you know, paint that picture? Um, Some, you know, the, the needle goes a little bit more fiction and some goes a little bit more doc, um, but none of them are one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not because of, you know, wanting to, I, I don't, to push the boundaries of anything. It's just like, that's what needs to happen in order to get the thing made. Um, so with this, we thought for a while that, yeah, maybe spend a year in a bar and, you know, whatever. That didn't sit with us right. T, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I, I just didn't. I don't think that was conducive to getting at what we were after. We didn't want the 
spe- specificity of a certain bar. We wanted um, we, we wanted to, to paint a picture within a certain framework that was more archetypal, that was more universal, and less about uh, a specific place and more about uh, a common uh, experience and something that we could um, harness and manifest uh, not only practically, you know, spending a year in a bar trying to get the actuality of something uh, seemed like, um, you know, all, not, not only a horrible idea for our personal lives, but also that it may not actually arrive at what we wanted, you know, which was a streamlined narrative that was very acute in its understanding of place and people's place within it. And so we realized that we needed to, yeah, cast cast the um, uh, cast the net broadly, and then winnow that down to uh, a, a very specific cross section of people that could speak for uh, not only a bar space with their understanding, their innate understanding of that, but our current, our common experience. You know, sort of the zeitgeist of the times. Uh, so we, you know, we much like you would with a narrative film, we we um, we did a lot of scouting of locations, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of spending time talking about dynamics and archetype and what the space wanted to be, so that when we arrived there, it could be something that self-manifested, so that the narrative could be written by the people within it and would be evocative not only of our conceived experience but of their um, very specific actual experience in the time they were all going through. Yeah, I mean, the film is a seamless experience. You know, I don't think you have to necessarily know the background to get its full effect of what you guys are after, really. You know, all the sort of information can kind of fall away, and it's just a really powerful human experience when you're actually watching it. Um, Thank you. One of the things that distinguishes your films is the rapport you seem to have with the people who appear on screen. Um, I feel like there's a sense of camaraderie there and perhaps even more so with this film. Uh, how much do you see yourselves in these characters? I think with every film, you know, with every film, I we have to love who we're shooting with, I think. Um, we have to want to be there. And people, I, uh, you know, have told us that, you know, as much as like, you guys are fun to have around, you know? <laughs> uh, and... So it, it is, we're shooting with people. We're not shooting at people. Uh, we end up, you know, establishing great friendships throughout these things. Um, there's a genuine love there. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely see myself in nearly everybody we shoot with in, in, in some way. Uh, I have to. Uh, I, I can't. I can't, yeah, I can't be around energy that I'm just like, fuck this guy, you know? <laughs> T, what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I would say that's absolutely true. I mean, we, you know, we we can't say that we share other people's experiences, but we can see our, our shared experiences, you know, in conjunction with them. And, and certainly in this bar movie, these are spaces that we deeply understand um, mm-hmm. and have had familiarity with. And... And we wanted to f- populate that 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 space with people who authentically spoke to it, and and part of that is just acknowledging acknowledging ourselves within that, and um, and you know there's also something in there that maybe is a catharsis for us to sort of evaluate what are these spaces, why do we choose them, and so these people then become surrogates for 
you know, for a conversation that needs to play out uh, in order for us to understand what caused us to make this film in the first place. This film is full of really memorable personalities and really incredible faces that you have captured. How did you go about casting it? What in particular were you looking for? Well, with, uh, it wasn't unlike our other films where it starts with a conversation. Those conversations get put onto pieces of paper in our office. Um, you know, those get broken down into, um, uh, you know, like the, what the qualities of a certain person are uh, that we're hoping that will be in this film. And then we go out into the world and we, we try to find those, those, those folks. Um, with this, we um, did a lot of bar casting. Um, all hours of the day, we would uh, duck into to spots with our camera and people would be curious as to what we were up to. Uh, because of the camera and we would uh, they'd come and talk to us and we'd just sit and talk and um, we'd tell them about our you know this crazy idea that we had and um, if the conversation was good the conversation continued um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. maybe, how yeah. different is that you, you know from your other films because you're you know I wonder how much you would consider western to be cast or you know um, you're still making decisions about who to put in front of the camera um, with all of these we we always look for what we call the the John Wayne figure. You know who is the who is the person that you who's the coat rack you're hanging everything on. And um, and in in western that was Chad Foster who was the mayor of the town. Mm -hmm. And through him we met other people and that begins a web. Then those people lead to other people lead to other people so that there is a natural sinew between the people. So that when we are, you know, mining these natural resources for 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 narrative or or look, we we want confluence. Uh, in this, our our John Wayne was uh, was Michael Martin, who really is an actor and could understand what it was that we were after, so that he mm -hmm. could sort of be an inside man, uh, because we never broke uh, that spell. You know, once we set the thing, we wanted it just to evolve naturally. Um, so with him, you know, we we also had sub you know, sub characters, people like Lowell Landis. If you put Lowell at the end of the bar, well, you probably better put Pam there. If you put Pam there, who's she going to relate mm -hmm. to? And so again, thinking about the web, you know, the sinews, mm -hmm. the things that connect these people so that there is a dynamic environment that can relate to it to itself. And I mean, regardless of how much the environment is set up, the emotions really ring true in the film. Um, it, what kind of prep do you do with these people? And how did you prep yourselves for making this movie? Um, we met with everybody, um, at the bar, uh, leading up to it so that the bar was familiar to them that, um, you know, they were comfortable with us. Um, we got into what the day might look like, um, but we wanted to make them comfortable, you know, just by saying we, we, you're here for a reason. We want you to be you. Uh, once you walk in the door, this is your space. And you do with it what you will. Um, you know, we we will be here filming, but um, we won't be telling you what to do. And a, a big portion of that is also doing. Uh, I mean, we don't use interviews in our films, but as a source of uh, of research, mm -hmm. like Bill said, individually we had each of them in the bar, 
had a couple drinks and talked about their lives. And so in that way, we, we, we knew a bit more what to look for. What, what are the things that motivate them? What are the ways in which they think? What are their routines? Uh, so that, you know, from our end on our job, that we would be, you know, we would be prepared and, and we would have some insight into how those characters might develop. Yeah, it really comes across. I mean, I feel like you don't often see characters like this depicted in such a complete way in films as you do in Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Usually people like this in independent films, there's an agenda in how they're shot, whereas these people seem whole. Um, So uh, you've assembled this cast and you have this kind of stage that you've created, but you still shot it like a verite movie. Is that correct to say, more or less? Yeah, I mean, once once the match was lit um yeah we created the scenario in which we could just document mm-hmm. um there was yeah once it got going you know I, really in the first 10 minutes uh I, you know i was i was pretty scared that you know <laughs> would this work would people right. take to it um you know we're asking folks to do something that you know maybe you know, are they going to continually look to me and be like, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. That didn't end up happening. Um, You know, we cast people that were very familiar with what we were asking them to do. So once Mm -hmm. they got in their bar stool, they ordered a drink like they normally would. And um, so after about 10 minutes, I was like, oh, everybody here knows how this works. (laughs) So we could just document uh, what unfolded. And does that keep you more attuned to the environment, kind of, you know, as filmmakers? And that's what we wanted. We had to be that way. Like, it was, yeah. I mean, we it was an 18-hour shoot, so it was very athletic, and you're very tuned in um, because you're just, you can't put the camera down or else you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, because we weren't dictating, because we were uh, there to capture, it was... It was madness, but you know, you're know you totally tuned into that. We did build in a bit of a safety net, which was at the very least, if we hit all these points, we can describe the space, we could describe the evolution of the day, we can describe how these people move and shake. And so, you know, as a two camera system, we, we said, okay, Turner, you follow and see how the day evolves according to this idea that we that we that we thought and at least we can build the environment and maybe we'll have to shoot again we don't know if it'll work and bill's bill's impulse mm-hmm. bill's direction was to just follow just to see, to be there with whatever happened and the incredible thing was the confluence of of those ideas when they worked together because once those people walked in the door and sat down that first person all of a sudden has authorship and ownership of that space so when the second person comes in there's already a dynamic at play when that third person come in, those two people have already built a narrative. That third person becomes part of the narrative and welcomes the fourth. And it really it really went like that. It was really fascinating just, just to be mm-hmm. present for. Yeah, I mean, people do come and go throughout the film. Is that something you, you sort of um, planned for, you know, to like sort of create this uh, waves of customers that you might see in a real bar? You know, I mean, that's kind of how it goes, right? Different temperatures in the room throughout the night. Um, you know, it must be difficult to try and create that environment. Um, I'd like to hear how you accomplished it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like uh, WWE Royal Rumble, where it's like everybody had a, uh, you know, a certain time when they were had to show up. Mm-hmm. But then 
who knows when people are getting <laughs> walking out, getting thrown out, you know, anything went um, uh, once they entered the ring. Right. <laughs> um, I want to one more kind of practical question about this is whenever I watch this movie, the sound seems like such a nightmare to me. Uh, how did you, it's remarkably coherent, you know, for such a chaotic environment, you got music and everything. You can glimpse a couple people wearing lavs in there, but how did you manage putting the sound together? Well, um, we had uh, we had a great great sound person who uh, hid out in uh, the beer closet uh, for eighteen oh, hours yeah. uh, with a mixer. Oh. We had fourteen mics planted around the bar. Uh, that was his doing, oh. um, and. Uh, we tried for about 20 minutes to keep the bar quiet uh-huh. and uh, you know, so that we'd have clean audio, uh, the cast mutinied against us and uh, <laughs> the, the jukebox was on for the rest of the time, which complicated everything legally and editorially mm-hmm. and technically. And uh, it was a mess. So it took us two years of editing uh, to try to, <laughs> You know, that was one thing that, you know, really complicated things. But, um, yeah, some people were mic'd. Um, and, we, yeah, I mean, we really had to rely on all those different channels. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we really had the whole, you know, range of sound in that bar. So if people were over on the couch, there, was mic, there were mics over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. Well, it comes off very well. <laughs> and we, we had a good uh, we had a good sound mixer at the very end as well. So, um, you mentioned that it took two years to put this thing together. Um, you know, in the structure of the film, a lot of it feels more like you're just kind of eavesdropping or roaming around the bar yourself. You guys almost have a certain presence um, as a viewer that we can feel. And how did you piece it together? And how did you sort of create these eavesdropping kind of um, environment? Um, you know, we thought it was going to be each of our films to date has been about a year of editing. So that's what we've grown to expect. And I thought maybe we'd get away with this one being slightly shorter because the bar opens and the bar closes and, you know, uh, there's only one way for it to go. Um, that ended up not being true at all. And, um, it's, yeah, because of the sound, because of, um, you know, spatially, if, you, you know, you were sitting at one end of the bar having a conversation and then all of a sudden we cut down to the other end of the bar to another conversation, but you walk, but you're in the background of that shot. Well, then that doesn't make any sense at all. So spatially, oh, wow. it was very hard to like keep people where they're supposed to be in your head, you know, um, so that it feels like it's, you know, we had obviously had to condense these 18 hours down to an hour and a half. So we had to make it feel like all this is happening simultaneously. That was difficult. You have 22 people in the room. Each person has an arc, a narrative. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, so there's all these balls in the air and it was just, it was really, 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 really tough. Um, (laughs) Kept me up every night in deep terror that this wasn't gonna work and um, we had finally run out of gas uh, as a uh, filmmaking duo. Well, on a practical level, you know, having this many pockets of activity going at once, 
you know, it lets you sort of drop right in as things are reaching heightened moments. You know, you can, because we understand the environment of a bar, you can just cut in when somebody has tears about to roll down their face. And it's really powerful, um, more so maybe than even building it up in a conventional way. Is that, you know, can you talk a bit about how you decided to enter moments like that? Yeah, sure. I, you know, it, it wasn't, there was never a lack of content. We weren't having to make uh you know footage stretch uh we had lots and lots and lots and lots of moments um and we you, so basically you know we we were having to like throw so much great stuff out mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean so you know the moments you do see are just so boiled down to this to their essence um because you know for instance pam and and Bruce at the end of the bar uh, talking about being vets, that conversation goes on for half hour, you know, in the oh, film, wow. it's one minute. Um, right. So, yeah, uh, that's another thing that added to it. It's like, what part of this, because all of it was actually great. Well, you know, half, <laughs> half of it was great. Um, all of it emotional, half of it great. Uh, but... Um, so yeah, boiling down, like what what precise moment do you do you pluck from that? And as cameramen, do you not, I mean, how do you figure out which direction in the room to go um, as it's going on? Are there things that you are just attuned to over the years of filming so many people um, that it's just sort of a natural thing for you guys? Or yeah, we've been doing this together for a long time and have figured out how to dance with each other in spaces like this. Uh, there's also I mean, we've done so much prep work for, especially with this project, we did so much prep work in the lead up that we both also know what the intentionality is and what we're hoping for. And there's very little that we need to talk about when we're doing it. We can see what the other's doing and assume mm-hmm. probably what they're after. And then there are there there are moments that you know that there probably needs to be double coverage on this moment or that, or that we want to be able to understand how other people are receiving that energy in the room. And it really is about following, yeah, just following the energy of the room and, and where your stream of consciousness goes so that in the end we make something where the viewer can feel omniscient in a sense and be able to bounce around from a conversation on one end of the bar to a conversation in another to be engaged in the intimacy of one thing and feeling removed from another. And, um, and yeah, and that was the big challenge of, and the blessing of, of, of shooting together like that simultaneously as we could change those viewpoints and we could be present for, for more than one uh, scene at a, at a, at a given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think of your films overall, they feel so alive to the world. Um, they're full of music and young people, even bloody nose, empty pockets, which should theoretically have a cutoff, you know, you sneak some teens in there. Um, there's exhilarating stuff in it, you know, like the fireworks, I feel like Chapatulis and Contemporary Color are full of these ecstatic performances. Um, and even Western, which, you know, is in many ways about the end of a kind of paradise, at least it starts in a kind of paradise. Um, but that, you know, there's a lot of joy in these films, but at the same time, the overall stories are tinged with sadness. You know, the bar is closing, the color guard teams won't perform again, the border walls going up. Is this tension something that you're consciously attracted to, or does it just happen naturally in the course of filming? We talk about this a lot. Uh, thank you for that question. <laughs> uh, 
I I have I have uh, not concluded because this is an ongoing relationship or whatever, but uh, I seem to think that it must be some sort of reflection of our character or inner life that <laughs> that uh, while there is great uh, joy and ecstasy in our life, there is also uh, a melancholy and a introspective um, you know there, there's very very much two sides to our personalities and I, I think they they are very much reflected in in the films T I, I want to hear your thought on that it's evocative of the inherent melancholy of our experience and I think whenever we are at our best and most exuberant we also have a have a, a deeply felt understanding that the moment is fleeting and I think our films mm-hmm. are yep, always that's it. That's that. it. <laughs> um, well, rewatching this film in particular in quarantine, you know, it took on a certain wistful kind of quality. You know, on the one hand, I was so glad to enter this kind of space again, but there's also a feeling of like, you know, I don't want to say like homesickness, but you know, that kind of vibe. Um, Wisconsin, where we are, is full of places like the Roaring Twenties. And you wonder when we'll be able to get back to them. Will they still even be open? Um, and I wonder, you know, what do you guys think is going to happen to this part of the culture? Has the film taken on a new color now? Yeah, it has for a lot of folks. I, you know, I, we've seen stuff online where every day, you know, you see a tweet, somebody saying like, I just watched this movie and, uh, my bar just closed, so it, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it gave me some sort of catharsis, and yeah, I worry, man. I mean, here in New Orleans, like, uh, all our special places are in danger of going under, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, like, even watching any movie, you know, through this lens, like, Jurassic Park takes on a new meaning, I found it a few months ago. <laughs> um, Looks better. <laughs> Oh, it's always great, but uh, just, uh, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the powers that be uh, 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 disregarding uh, the potential of, uh, of great uh, terror, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking the other way in the face of, uh, uh, of, of great um, uh, catastrophic, uh, you know, death. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it makes me sad to think that bars that are closing now won't get to have their night like this. Right. You know, it just goes out with a whimper. Yeah. Um, I know, man. It's, um, it's sad. I don't expect you to have, like, answers. For well, I'm sure Turner, I'm sure Turner does. Turner, what do you got? Well, I, yeah, it's, it's bizarre because when we, when we saw this when we saw this film in our in our minds we thought about um lives being eclipsed by um the you know by by the by the tides of time and change and it was about the end of something and very uncertain beginnings and we are certainly experiencing that right now you know the the end of something beloved that maybe is even just an idea of itself and um and very uncertain futures uh, ahead of us so you know i mean it it certainly speaks to the actual closure of places that we know and love, but also, you know, as I think as a culture and, and, 
certain ways of life and ways of being and viewpoints in the world are 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 fading and um and boy i, I wonder what the other side of all of this looks like mm-hmm. um so there's no shortage in movies of lousy depictions of drunkenness or bars um bloody nose empty pockets seems like a corrective in some ways to this um are there other films or works in other mediums, for that matter, that you think got bars right that perhaps you look to? Oh, we were just uh, we were just looking at this uh, sculpture. Um, T, what what was that? The beanery, the beanery. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, so there was. Uh, I, I think he's passed on. It, um, but uh, there was a sculptor. Let me try up let's see if I can remember his name. But he, he would make these spaces uh, that you could walk through as installations, Edward Keinholz. And, um, and he did this one called The Beanery, which was a, just a room full of, of people uh, enjoying their bar. And the bar is dirty and decrepit and people in all, are in all different manner of, of uh, participation in that space. And uh, this woman we did a conversation with in Amsterdam the other day. It had been installed there for a long time. And she said, she said the experience of watching the film was like walking through that sculpture. And when we started to dig into it, I, yeah, I realized that that's kind of what we're after and that we're hopeful for. Because you're right, the, the grand percentage, you know, the, it's very small in the history of cinema where it's captured well and is usually captured very badly. It's not lived in in the way that it is in in real life, and yeah, the experiential nature of it, like a like a like Keinholz the Beanery, um, is something that hopefully, yeah, we arrive at because, you know, the, we want to have these lived in experiences that then, if they're effective, can create empathy by giving a sense of being there, and uh, and certainly there are references in film that we have loved uh, that, that get portions of it right. Um, like scenes in the in the exiles there um you, you go ahead mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say exiles uh spring nights summer nights uh mm-hmm. you, have you seen that uh, i haven't seen it but um i think we showed it is that right ben i think so. oh man that that yeah that that one gets done um uh exiles what I, but yeah, yeah, it's like 99% are overly lit. You don't believe that the people that are in there exist in there. Uh, and uh, God, we certainly have more references than this. Well, I mean, it's our, I mean, Exile seems like it would be a touchstone perhaps for you guys generally, you know, um, with what you do. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... You know, none of your films as far, I mean, none of your films have been set in the same region, right? But I feel like place is really central to what you guys do. I mean, your first two movies are named after a zip code and a street, right? Um, So you've taken us to all these different places. And I'm curious how you find your subjects in general. You know, how do you ferret out what the film is that you're trying to make? Well, we're in uh, right in the middle of figuring out what our sixth film is going to be. So, this probably you're asking the question at exactly the right time. Uh, <laughs> T, why don't you start with that? It's always um, 
it, it's 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 numerous things. One, it, it is always a, a stack of notes that's that's high enough to topple over, which means that it has some sort of um, intrinsic resonance with uh, with us because we we always want to be coming from a place of uh, either. Uh, understanding or empathy you know of something that we're interested in that we can't get rid of and then also always trying to diversify the palette whether that's faces or the landscape um, the physical landscape and trying to explore uh, new territories that uh, you know that might that, that might spark new ideas and mm-hmm. um, and usually places that have had some resonance in our lives but uh, yeah, and while while there has been a conversation of boy, it would have been interesting if we just would have uh, uh, shot uh, movies for the cable access station our entire lives uh, in one place with the same palette uh, at, at present. Uh, and as uh, that would have been cool, we, we continue to think about yeah, what are new places that we can explore, new voices that we can hear, new trouble that we can get into, and um, and, and see, see what, what we return with. Um, you mentioned your sixth. Uh, film, but you do have another film that was completed recently, um, Second Star to the Right and Straight On Till Morning, which is you know a lovely kind of impressionistic documentary on the making of the film Wendy, which uh, came out earlier this year. Um, can you tell us a bit about the making of that movie, and do you think it'll ever see the light of day? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, actually, Wendy plays plays into the story of Bloody Nose quite a bit. We were set to uh, the director Ben's a, a buddy of ours and he asked us just to come on for the the journey of that film um, you know to to document and just sort of be uh, be around and uh, their production had to push by three months for some reason I don't remember now but that left us with three months of a completely open calendar and so we said shit what are we going to do and you know we had had this in our back pocket for many years and so we said well you know it's something we could pull off if we hustle and uh so we got down to it um will it ever see the light of day probably not i don't i don't know i mean they yeah uh the don't want to say too much about it but uh it it uh, uh I hope so. One you know, we made a we made our own film, and it uh, wasn't uh, what they wanted to do. <laughs> they wanted something more conventional. I take it they they might have yes. Mm, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, and for your film. And I hope that we can bring you sometime to Madison in the future and uh, check out some dive bars. Would love to be here. on Wisconsin. Thank you. That's all there is.